Romans. So today we're going to be picking up in Romans 6. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful. God, we're thankful for this day. Um, I'm thankful to be up here, God, and speak your words. God, I pray over all of our hearts that this message, it hits home. And that we're able to live out the freedom in which you've given us each and every day. Uh, We just love you and we praise you. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, in May 2018, there was a woman, a 38-year-old woman, who went to the doctor because she had a tumor, and it had to be removed. Well, that tumor required 12 doctors and a five-hour surgery. Now, you may be thinking, why is it one tumor needing so many doctors, right? It's because the tumor was 132 pounds, and it was in her abdomen. It's a true story. And it, it required that many doctors because it just grew so much fast, it was so fast. She reported at one point it was growing at a speed of 10 pounds per week. And so it, it, would, it was leaving her restless. When she walked into the doctor's office to this final doctor, she looked at the doctor and the doctor remarked that she just looked so hopeless. She looked malnourished despite being over 300 pounds because of the tumor, even though she was really healthy. She couldn't walk because she was in a wheelchair. And she just looked so hopeless. Can you imagine the burden that she had? Can you imagine the weight, the pressure that she had inside of her stomach, inside of her abdomen? And so after the surgery, they removed it and everything went well. Can you imagine the joy that she had the next day? Or the week later, can you imagine how happy she was to have that 132-pound tumor out of her? It's like a big weight being lifted off of you, literally in her case. And the doctor, he remarked, and he said this, When I saw her in my office, all I saw was smiles. All I saw was hope. I saw a happy woman. Wouldn't you like to experience that kind of joy? Without the tumor, obviously. Wouldn't you like to experience that type of freedom? You see, today we're going to be talking about a freedom that's so much greater than that. A freedom that's so much better to freedom in Jesus that we have as new believers. But before we get there, before we get to Romans 6, we have to back up because it's been 13 long weeks since we've been in the book of Romans. And so we cover in chapters 1 through 3 that Paul says that we're all sinners and we all uh, deserve God's holy and righteous wrath, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. I got to preach that on Mother's Day. And so, yeah, I know. It's always great, right? So we see that we have sin, and we all need a Savior. How do we get there? Well, when we sin, we have to have humility. And in order to, after humility, then we have repentance. In order to get from repentance to a Savior, we have to have salvation. That we see that in chapters 4 and 5. And so we receive that salvation through no works of our own. We receive that salvation through a gift, a gift from God, and through our faith. And then you see in Romans 5, verse 20, Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. 
but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now the word abounded, it just means to exist in large amounts or a large quantity. And so it means that where sin is, grace covers it. When we sin, the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. We have that much grace. We des- and we don't deserve that. And that grace is a gift to all who believe in him. So what this tells you is that you cannot out the grace of God. It is impossible to do that. We cannot sin more than God can forgive. And you may be thinking, well, can't I just sin all I want because no matter how much I sin, God's just going to cover it, right? You may be thinking that. You know, a lot of people think that. But then that's why Paul asks in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Paul's asking that exact question. He's asking it rhetorically here. And he says, is God's going to cover our grace? Why stop sinning? Why stop seeking after our self-pleasure and things that we enjoy to do, even if they go against God's law? God's going to cover us anyways. Why stop? Why not just sin more so that God can cover me more with his grace? Makes sense, right? Well, we see that some people think that it is their job to sin, that it's God's job to forgive them. You know, there's this Russian monk, his name was Rasputin, and he believed that that was exactly his job. He said that, I'm going to sin, I'm going to live this notorious life full of sin, so that God may grant me more and more grace, therefore I'm showing people Jesus by doing my sins and seeing that God will cover my sins. This is an extreme example of Paul's question saying, are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? Why stop sinning if God's going to forgive me anyways? You know, it's so easy. It's so interesting how people can take one truth and carry it through to a logical, logical conclusion that is completely wrong, that is completely false. And so we're going to see Paul develop here in chapter 6 a proper relationship of a believer to sin and how we're dead to it and how we experience the freedom in which we have in Jesus Christ. But there's, a, there's this question that confronts us as well. Is a plan of grace safe? Will the people abuse it? If all we have to say is we believe, can't we just continue to sin and say, you know, I'm sinning, but yeah, I believe in Jesus, so I'm okay. Can we still do that? You know, there's people out there that don't even like to preach grace to their churches because they think that people can do whatever they want and still be covered. So they say that you have to follow X, Y, Z, and if you don't, then you're not going to make it to heaven. And that's so sad that that happens because people think that they have to be perfect in order to be a Christian, and we all know that's not true. And so we see the answer to this question that Paul asks We see it in verse 2. He says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You see, certainly not. By no means. No. That is a strong statement that Paul is saying here. He says that if you're a new believer, if you're made new in Christ, 
You're this new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And as a new creation, our relationship, our mindsets are, have shifted from the world, from our flesh, to now shifting towards God. You know, w- but we still have desires of the flesh. But we used to be dead in sin, Ephesians 2.1. Now we're dead to sin. And so let's, let's continue, verses 3 through 4. Paul says this. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And so the word baptism, it, it just means to be immersed or overwhelmed in something. We see a lot of, or we see in the Bible that it's used in various different ways. Uh, the biggest way is, and the way that we express it a lot, is that we see it in water. So someone's immersed in water. We see in the Bible they're baptized in the Spirit. They're immersed or they're overwhelmed by the Spirit. We see in suffering, their baptism of suffering. They're overwhelmed or they're immersed with suffering. And here, Paul is referring to being baptized or being immersed in Christ, into Jesus, and into his death. You see, when we're baptized, let's imagine this is our old selves. We're being baptized, and we go down. We're, We're dying, just as Jesus died on the cross for us. And our old selves are dead. And then as we're raised back up from the water, hopefully without drowning, we're raised back up. And we are given a new life. We are made new in Christ, just as Christ is resurrected from the dead. There's this, as Paul says in the end of verse 4, there's this newness of life. It's a whole new life. It's a life seeking after the Spirit, no longer seeking after the flesh. The old life that we have that seeks after the things of this world, things of the flesh in our carnal bodies, that's, that's gone away. That's died, Paul says. And we have this new life. We're born again in this new life. We have a spiritual life. It's a spirit that is in union with God's spirit. My thoughts, my actions, my consciousness is all about God in this new life and his will for my life. And I love what Pastor Chuck says. I've been getting more and more into him um, just through the influence of this church. But he, he says this. He says, God's love for me, God's grace for me, God's goodness for me, these, these things dominate my conscious state. I'm no longer dominated by my fleshly desires or fleshly needs. And I love what Pastor Chuck says here in his, his testimony because he, he chooses not to focus on himself. He chooses not to focus on his self, on his flesh. He's choosing to focus on the things of God and things God has done in him and through him. That's such a powerful t- testimony for me. That's what baptism is all about. Our old selves have died and were raised new, a new creation in him. And so continuing on, verse 5 through 10, we're going to see this freedom that we have from sin. Verse 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly 
we also should be in the likeness of his creation. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also should live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 5, it says that we are united in Christ. In his death and his resurrection. You see, so many people are ready to be united with Jesus in his, in his resurrection in the good times. But people aren't so willing to be resurrected in Jesus's, or be in unison with Jesus in his death, in the hard times. We're called to be with Jesus no matter what. The hard times and the easy times. And then we see in verse 6 that we're all slaves to sin. Again, this verse, it builds upon the idea of living in Adam, living in our flesh. Meaning we're living the sinful nature in which Adam had. In which, and when we live in Christ, when we live in him and his nature, we see something different. When we live in Adam or in our old selves, that we rebel against God and his commands for our lives. But thankfully, God took care of that up on the cross. He, he says that our old selves are crucified through Jesus Christ, and we're told to account it as being done already. But here's the question. If we continue, or if we, our old selves are dead, then why do we feel this pull to sin on the inside? It comes from our flesh, from our selfish desires. I'm not just talking about our actions, but I'm talking about our minds and our thoughts. Because what's going on on the inside of us, inside our minds, our, our flesh will act out. Why do we do that? Why do we want... We, we, we're going to talk about this in Romans 7 here in a couple weeks, where our flesh wants something different than our spirit. Why? It's because we have been expertly trained to sin. And here's three reasons. The first one is that we have been... It's, it's natural for us. Okay, we see in Genesis 3, we see that the fall of man, and we see that, that Adam, when he gets called out by God, said, What's, who told you you were naked? Adam, Adam blames it on somebody else, and he instantly lies. How, why does he lie? He's never lied before. It's because it's, it's, it's indoctrinated in him already. It's ingrained in him. He, it's natural for that to happen. The second way is that it is in the world that we live in. In America, man, it is so me-centric, so me-centered. It's all about me. I don't care what you do, but me, I want this. I want that. And that's so wrong. You know, Jesus says that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And I can't help but think, what if we did love our neighbors as ourselves? What if we loved our neighbor as much as we loved our, ourselves? What if we took care of our neighbor as much as we take care of ourselves? Imagine the society that we would have. It'd be so much nicer. The third way is that the devil is working in your life. He is trying, 
He's nipping at you. He's that roaring lion ready to devour you. So the devil's saying, no, yeah, you know, you don't have to do that. Did, you know, Genesis 2 again. Did God really say that? Genesis 3, sorry. Did God really tell you that? You couldn't eat from that tree? He twists things. He's deceiving you. He's a great deceiver. So that's the third way, is that the devil works in our lives to try to try to get us to sin more and more. We battle against these things every single day. Galatians, it says that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. No, it's against powers and principalities. Principalities. We're in a spiritual battle. No matter how dead to sin we are, we're in the fight. How do we leave this training behind? How do we, how do we leave sin behind? Well, how many of you guys have seen the movie Spartacus with Kirk Douglas? Okay, there's a few, yeah. So he has this famous line in there, and he says, I've never seen it, so the fact that I know this line, he says, death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he is not afraid of it. See, we are a slave to sin. The only way to get rid of it is through death. And I'm not talking about physical death, spiritual death as well. We're set free from sin because our old selves have died with Jesus up on that cross, and now we are free. We're made new in the newness of life, Paul says. We have this new life apart from our old selves, and since we have died to sin, because of Jesus, death no longer has dominion over us, no longer has power over us. Not only do we have this new life, but we have eternal life in him forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I like that. But this new life that has been given to us isn't given so that we can live out the things of our flesh, no matter how much we want. We're called to live out the life for God. We're not called to do whatever we want, but live it for God and what he wants. Live a life that is worthy of the Lord, one that pleases him. You know, I, I love what Pastor Darren shared a couple weeks ago. He says, I live for an audience of one. And he's not talking about his wife. He lives for God. He wants to he, he wants to make sure what he does is good to God's eyes. And that's, that's powerful. We're pleasing an audience of one. And when we're new in Christ, when we're given that new body, this new life is to live for him. But like I said, there's this raging battle going on inside of us. It's kind of like there's this game of tug of war, right, going on. And let's, let's say, like, you're the flag, and, you know, they're trying to pull you to one side. And on one side, you got the devil, and you got the world, you got the flesh, and it's pulling you this way. It's kind of like the little chihuahua, you know, that goes, yip, 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 and they're, like, biting at your ankles. They're so annoying, right? And it's like, hey, come this way. Come this way. Come do this. Did God really say you can't do that? And you're getting pulled this way. But then you got on the other side. God's pulling you back, and he's saying, come to me. He's like that German shepherd. Even though he's so, he's so big and powerful, we sometimes let the chihuahua win in our lives. See, we're being pulled away from God at times. And how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this new life in Christ? Well, we see the practical application found in our final four verses today. And this is where the freedom comes. The freedom in which we have when we walk with Jesus. And so let's read verse 11. It says, likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, 
but alive in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I love the picture that Paul paints here. He tells us to reckon or to consider ourselves, our old selves, as dead already. You see, God never calls us to crucify our our old selves, but he calls us to already deem them as dead, as dead uh, already because of Jesus' death on the cross. Instead of being dead, our new selves live on for God. We're made new in the newness of life. And what are we to do with this new body, this new creation? Well, we read verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey in its lusts. In its lusts. Now, this is something we can only say to a Christian. And please, I told my youth the same thing. Please don't do it at Albertsons or at school or something. Um, but we can say to his Christians, hey, you, stop sinning. Sorry, Tanner. Stop sinning, you sinner. If you did that at Albertsons to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, well, best case, they're just going to look at you funny and call you a weirdo and walk off, right? Worst case, you're going to show up next Sunday with a black eye, right? And so we can only say that to Christians because the world doesn't know what they're missing out on. They're still living in their old selves, in their flesh. They don't understand that they're living a life full of sin instead of they're doing what God or what their flesh wants. Only somebody who is truly free from sin, who is made new, knows the freedom that we have. And that's only what Christians have. And we see that those who, who are not made new yet, they're seeking after this freedom that we, that we as Christians have. They find this freedom in all the wrong places. They want to find it in sex, in relationships, in money, in their jobs, in everything else, in sports, go Rams. But... They don't see it. They don't see that it is temporary. Okay, the great example, the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. And I was, I was really pumped up for the season. And then they went and played the Bills. And what happened? They got destroyed. Right? It's a temporary high. And people don't understand that. But the freedom that we have in Christ, that freedom is eternal. It is forever. When we're a new creation, a new self, no longer living in Adam, but now in Jesus, we can experience true freedom and peace. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're struggling with this idea of being free. That's okay. Many Christians do, through unbelief and whatnot. I remember hearing the story of this old, this former slave, just after the Civil War. And she was talking about if she's free or not. And she says this, am I free or not? When I go to my old master, he says I'm not free. And when I go to my people, they say that I am free. Then she later on says, I don't know if I'm free or not. Some people tell me Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation and set me free. But when I ask my master, he says I'm not free and that Abraham Lincoln does not have the right to deem me as free. See, that perfectly encapsulates Christians and how they are at times. They are set free from their slave to sin, but they're unsure of this truth. Just as this former slave was set free from slavery, but yet she was unsure about that. And as we finish up reading verses 13 through 14, 
we're going to see some practical guidance in how to live out in that freedom in which we have been given. Verse 13, it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see, a person can be set free and still feel imprisoned. You know, one of the harshest realities of our prison system that somebody who spent a long time incarcerated, when they get released, they often feel like they're still in prison. And I, I've always wondered why, and then it, it clicked. It's because this idea that, of freedom has not been ingrained inside of them yet. And so they still feel like they are imprisoned, like they're still slaves to that. And here Paul shows how to build the habits of freedom into our Christian walks. So back in the 14th century, these two brothers, they were fighting with one another. And they were fighting over the dukedom of a place now in Belgium. And so we see that the older brother, his name was Reynald, but his nickname was Crassus. And in Latin, Crassus means big or fat. And so we see the younger brother, Edward, and him were battling, and Edward won. And instead of killing his brother, he threw him into a room. And he told Reynold that all he had to do was simply get up and walk out the door. He didn't lock the door. He didn't shut the door. The windows were normal-sized windows, and they probably had bars like the one up on there. But the doorway was slightly smaller than it usually is. Just slightly, though. So all Reynald had to do was walk out, and he would have his empire back, his land back. However, his brother kept saying, my brother is not a prisoner. He can walk out whenever he wants. But what people didn't realize was that his brother was sending him all these sweets. And so the brother, uh, Reynald, he kept eating them and eating him, and he wasn't losing the weight to walk out that door. And so we see that in Reynold, the obstacle to freedom was not the doors, it wasn't the window, no, it was himself. And to conclude the story, Reynold, he actually stayed in there for 10 years until his brother was killed in battle, and then they opened the door up even more so that he can walk out. But he spent 10 years in there because he couldn't get away from himself. He was self-imprisoned. See, this picture paints a reality that many Christians experience. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set me free. And we may walk in that freedom, but we're still slaves to our own sin. The obstacle is ourselves. Just as Reynolds struggled with his own self, we too struggle with ourselves because we are sinners. Because we keep chasing after our fleshly desires. And we live a life full of defeat, discouragement, and self-imprisonment. So how do we walk in this freedom that Jesus wants, that has won for us? Well, we, said, we see it in a few ways. And I'm going to take the verse out of the NLT. Don't 
persecute me. But the NLT of verse 13, it says, Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. You see, your members are your fingers, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your feet, right? And Paul says that they can be used for evil. So he says, don't let them be. Don't let your eyes persuade you to sin. Don't let your feet walk you into sin. Don't let your ears and so on and so forth. But I tend to think of it kind of like a weapon rather than an instrument. You know, so a, a, a few of us have weapons here. Not here, but home. And we see that they can be used for good or they can be used for evil just as our members can as well. Our fingers, our eyes, our ears, and everything. You know, I think of David. David's a great example. David, he used his, his hands for righteousness in killing Goliath. But then later on, we see that David used his eyes for evil when he lusts after Bathsheba. Don't let your body be used as an instrument for sin. That's our first way that we can walk in, in the freedom Jesus has given us. The second way is by presenting ourselves to him, to God. So not only are we to take away our members that lead us away from him, but instead we are to live a life that is for him and for God. And this is sort of an obligation, but it's completely voluntary that we owe our lives. We owe everything to the one who has died for us. You know, I say it's voluntary, but what I really mean is this. I mean that we are given this new life. We are a new creation. And we, we have this inner desire to follow Jesus more and more each day. So we need to walk in the freedom in which we are given by presenting ourselves to God daily. And so we see in verse, five, in verse 14, Paul wraps up this talk by talking about freedom. And he says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See, Paul concludes here that we are not to allow sin to tell us what to do in our lives, and that sin has no authority in our lives anymore. Those who, have, or those who do not have Jesus in their lives, they're compelled to sin against God because they don't know that they're this new creation. They're still slaves to sin. They're still slaves to those things of the flesh, because they don't know the freedom that we have. And so we're like that also. But because Jesus has rescued us, because Christ has rescued us, we can allow sin not to be our boss anymore. We can break out of the chain that, he ha that sin can have on us. We can go to him. If you have never experienced God's sin-conquering grace, he invites sinners like you and I to come to him daily and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Romans 5, 8, it says this. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when you receive God's grace and God's gift, the power of sin is broken in our lives. In Christ, you can pray for it and you can ask God to help you through it. Are you going to struggle? Yes. But we're relying on God and depending more and more on him. And you can present yourselves to God as he is our new master who brought you from death to life. You can say no to standing yes to the God who loved you and died for you and for his, his son to redeem you from your sins. Maybe that's you today.
Maybe you need to do that today for the first time. But maybe you've already given your life to Christ, and yet you still struggle with the sin. It could be a, a very small sin. Or maybe in the season that you're in right now, maybe you're, you're not struggling yet, but maybe you will soon, or it's something you've already gone through. You still struggle to live up to that standard in which God has called us to live. Well, guess what? So do I. So does Pastor Darren. So does the person to your left and to your right. In fact, so does everybody in this room and every other person that I know, and that even the ones I don't know. You know, I think of Paul. You know, besides Jesus, I, you know, I think of Paul as being like one of the most holiest dudes ever, right? And he writes this 30, days, or 30 years later in Philippians 3.12, after being converted. He says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. If Paul says he's not perfect, how much more imperfect are we? You know, God, though, still welcomes us and still wants us to run to him. He says, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. Again, in in Genesis 3, we see that God, when he's walking through the garden, and he says, where are you? You know, some people, they they claim that God's kind of like an arresting officer. And he says, where are you? You know, in a mean and, you know, vulturous voice. I don't think of it like that. I think it's God, he's saying, where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? Because he is a heartbroken father because of the sin that his his creation, that his son and daughter have just sinned against him. They have broken that bond that they had. And here's my point. When we sin and when we try to hide from God, he cries out just as a brokenhearted father would after their own child. And he says, where are you? And all we have to do is be humble about it and say, I'm right here, Lord. I need your help. Run to the Father. We're we're not going to be perfect. We're going to continue to make mistakes no matter how big of a Christian we are. You know, Paul's going to talk about it in chapter 7 of how his spirit wants to do what's right, but his flesh is so weak. Because we are so carnal. And maybe that's you this week. Maybe you need to raise up your hand and say, God, I'm right here. God, help me. God, I need you. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you know somebody who needs to say that. And what it takes is humility, like we talked about earlier, to begin that process. Let's run to the Father this week and say, God, I'm right here when he cries out to you and says, where are you, son? And then after we do that, let's walk in the freedom in which we have been given by Christ's blood up on that cross. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so overwhelmingly thankful for your your love, God, and that you sent your Son to die up on that cross for for dirty sinners like all of us, God. I just pray that we can love you more and more each day, God, and that we can cry out to you this week, find opportunities this week with the sin that we struggle, no matter how small or how big it is. God, I pray that we raise our hands, say, God, I'm right here, help me. God, I need you. 
And I pray that we have strength to overcome that. God, I pray that we can just walk in the freedom that you've, been, that you've given us daily. God, we just love you and we praise you. It's in our name. Amen.